Stop, he's listening. He's listening. <laughs> Hi, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Filter the Podcast. I'm Benita. I'm Sharon. I'm Celine. I'm Rebecca. I'm Hannah. And welcome back to our series called Breaking the Mold. We have a special guest on today, Sheena Samu. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you on. Um, she is the Emmy award-winning associate producer for CBS News, mm-hmm. currently part of the investigative unit there. Previously, she worked with 60 Minutes, and she's assisted in productions for high-profile interviews with people like President Joe Biden, Malala, Tom Brady, and Rupi Kaur. Wow, that is a resume. You guys did your homework. I'm impressed. (laughs) You're impressed. (laughs) Did you hear those names? The president of America. Just that's great. (laughs) Okay, give us the tea. Who's your favorite? Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) President Joe Biden is listening right now. Don't say anything. (laughs) FBI, we were joking. (laughs) The amount of like secret service stories I have, though, it's embarrassing like I have made myself look like such a fool every time are you allowed to share or did you sign something one I I tried to we were we had this show at the White House and it was early morning and I think it was maybe for an inauguration and I you have to get through security and I ran through with scissors (laughs) in my backpack and they they were screaming (laughs) down about to tackle me thinking that I was coming in with scissors trying to like attack How do you have scissors backpack? in your backpack you know what girl <laughs> don't ask questions <laughs> oh my god and i was like i promise i promise it was for nothing they're just like take it out leave it here or you're not coming in i'm like you got it Go get the- <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like safety scissors <laughs> no they were like full-on like i needed to cut cardboard like i was making a notepad no. like, note- like note cards for my boss oh oh god crazy that's insane (laughs) okay so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and like kind of what sparked your interest in journalism and what got you started in this path yeah sure so I was never really sure what I wanted to go to school for initially I was like you know what I'm gonna go in for teaching that's what I'll do but I wasn't so passionate about it and it was my sister actually Serena she was just like this is not what you're doing like you're not going to become a teacher like figure out what you like. What is it that you really like? And I've always loved news. And I think it's because of my dad. He's such a news junkie, but I never thought that it was a job that you could have. No one ever told me, oh yeah, this is the path you take to become a reporter. Plus I've never seen anyone in our community do it. So Mm -hmm. we never spoke about it. I remember talking to my guidance counselor and she was actually Malayali. And she's just like, you could try it out, you know, like go to this school and this school. Um, so I applied to every single school for teaching and on a whim right before like the deadline for applications, I applied for the Stony Brook journalism school. I ended up getting accepted into the program. And I'm like, this must be a sign of the one school that I <laughs> tried for journalism. So I went and I, I loved it. It was different and it felt like I was kind of doing it all on my own, but it was, it was a great experience. So I'm glad. So cool. 
Wait, did you always like love writing even as a kid or or like reporting? Oh my God, I loved it. I was such a nerd. I would just stay up and write my own little stories. And I always told my parents, like, I just wanted to be a writer. And they're like, no, that's definitely not a job. (laughs) (laughs) You can dream, but don't dream that big and wide. I would just like write little stories. If I had something happen in my life, I would like write it down and like read it to my class. Like I was that kid. So I was always into like the arts and I was always kind of into just reading and writing and learning. But I like I wrote for my high school paper, like I w- wrote for like our church, like newsletter, all that stuff. But it was just a hobby in my mind. Mm-hmm, like writing yeah. was just a hobby. It wasn't a career. Mm-hmm. So I think I got lucky that it led to journalism and it worked out. No, seriously, yeah. that's so cool. And that's wow. so cool that the Malali ga- guidance counselor was like actually rooting for you. Because oh, yeah. I feel like there's so many Malali people that'd be like, oh, you want to do journalism? Absolutely not. Go to nursing. That <laughs> like- was every single person. Yeah. People would go up. I didn't know this until afterwards, but uncles, when they found out what I was going to school for, because I was also staying away, mm-hmm. they're just like, when are you going to tell her not to do that? Like they would wow. all my parents tell her not to do this. And it went on all throughout college because you could go to school for this, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to yeah. get a job, yeah. you know? And it's a really- Isn't it crazy that you're, you're like, parents are getting like the heat for letting you totally yeah and I think my mom I like my dad loves it and he's so supportive and so does my mom but to this day she's just like do you want to go back to school for like teaching do you want to just like get your master's in something else and I'm like I won two Emmys woman like this like, it's not <laughs> like I'm failing at this but she's yeah. still like afraid of like having to tell people oh she's a journalist because no it, I mean it's hard to explain like what does that yeah. mean she's a journalist mm-hmm. so I get it on that end but yeah my parents definitely got the brunt of just the criticism and I think they handled it really well so I I got really lucky with them being supportive have you ever gotten like the criticism to your face or was it more just like to your parents no I got it to my face too and I I don't think they meant it in a discouraging way but I mean you guys are girls in your 20s they were just like no one is going to want to be with someone who doesn't have a nursing or a teaching or science degree so it was very much, how are you going to explain this to someone? No one's going to be interested in that career. Mm-hmm. And even recently, I was even just told, like, maybe just get like a master's in like business, just so when people approach you, you can tell them that you have a real degree. And it's just for the case of marriage, by the way, we're not talking about having a good job and like being yeah. proud of your work. It's so what I can like show people that I do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I take it with a grain, like, I don't care about that. So if it wasn't a legitimate criticism, but it's not. It's it's about appeasing other people. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't it because so funny? Marrying you for your yeah. Career. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I was like, isn't it so funny that our worth is measured about like what we are doing with our lives, so that others can be like, oh, she's in the medical field. She she's right for the taking. You know. Exactly. Whereas whereas if you're oh God forbid like. Um, I don't know, somebody like, let, let's use, you know, journalism, like, oh, it's not a real job. Yeah, I think also in like the brown community, like status and title is so important. Like, mm-hmm. I think I was talking to my uncle the other day, and he was like, everybody just cares about like your cars and your houses. And yeah. um, that's what they look like, how much like, there's a sting, not a sting, there's a thing where before a daughter gets married, you see every brown parent redo their house. Oh, yeah. Because you want the house to look the best for when 
the guy's family comes over for when the guy comes over and because it's like all about the way you put yourself out there the way that people see you and the status you come from how much money you have what you're showing I was actually just talking to my friends about this because we're all in a similar boat of where we are in relationships and like how our families treat us but Mm -hmm. I think within the Malayali community specifically from what I've seen you kind of raise your daughter's to give them away in a sense of they have to be this and this and there's yeah like you want them to be the best you want them to do all that stuff but then you raise these really independent self-motivating women who are not going to deal with like what you what what other boys are doing you know what I mean and then you get in trouble or you're just like oh now you're being like too pushy now you're being like (laughs) too much you think too highly of yourself like I get that a lot I'm like Mm -hmm. I get like, oh, you know what? Just like humble yourself a little bit in your career. Like, don't talk about all of these things. In general, like I'm such an anxious person talking about anything with work. I don't do that. And mm-hmm. I don't like bringing it up on dates. And I don't like talking about it with a bunch of people. But other folks are just like, you don't want the boy to feel intimidated. You don't want him to feel like this. Uh-huh. You can approach boys because of this. And I'm just so sick of that narrative because it goes back once again to what we have to do to make mm-hmm. other people comfortable. Yeah. And no. Not in 2022, girls. (laughs) (laughs) Never that. I should be honored to be sitting with an Emmy Award winning person. Seriously. Um, So in the type of work that you do, I see that you lean towards more the social justice side of journalism. Is there something that like compelled you to go towards that side instead of like pop culture or something else? What's the first thing that came to my head? No, no, that's a good question. So when I was going through this phase of applying for schools and figuring out what I wanted to do. I remember a friend invited me to some church event that they were hosting. And that's just like not my scene to like go to these like big functions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm like kicking and like shouting. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go. And it ended up being this charity event for human trafficking. And they're talking about human trafficking in India. And I was 16, 17 years old at that time. And I remember walking in and being so angry that I've never heard of human trafficking before. To me, that was mind-blowing, seeing these girls who resembled me, and it was number one cases in the world were in India. Like, I thought it was so absurd. And I was asking myself, like, well, who's responsible for telling me this? Like, I didn't know this information, so who would have been responsible for telling me this? And I realized it's journalists. It's the Mm -hmm. people who go out, report these things, and share it with the rest of the world. My dad always raised me, like, if you see something, say something. He's Mm. about the littlest things. He's just like, if there's a problem and no one's talking about it, then you should be the one to speak about it. So at that moment, I'm like, okay, if there's one thing I get out of, like, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life in a career, I want it to be to do something that's helping other people. And I kind of made it a vow at that point. I never want to find myself in a situation where I see Mm -hmm. an atrocity like human trafficking or something else. And I have no way of helping or telling someone else about it. So for me, that kind of like clipped something in my head. And I was just like, I'm going to apply to Stony, but I'm going to try this one journalism school. Oh, so this was before you even applied? This was before I even applied. Yeah. And that made me realize that I just, there was a pit in my stomach of mm-hmm. just, this is going on. And I felt so <clears throat> stupid that I didn't know this at like the big age of 17. And so from there, I realized those are the stories that I care about. And like, I've, in my career, I've done the pop culture, I've mm-hmm. done like, shows and all of that stuff. And it just, and I think it's fun and people love watching it. And I'm not saying anything against that. But for me, I just find so much more worth and putting out those kind of stories that help people and like educate people. Because I wasn't educated and I'll admit that. And that's why I did it. 
<laughs> no, even right now, I didn't even know that. Like you're you saying that right now is just like opening my eyes because I didn't I I mean I don't really watch the news and stuff like that. So even like hearing this information, yeah. it's never even no, absolutely. And it, I think that's exactly what I respect about journalism is that you really have this responsibility to just kind of educate people and mm-hmm. not just like share useless information, but kind of give people action steps on what to do. Now, here's the information. This is what we've learned. And like, here are some steps to make these things better. So it's kind of what led me to that. Mm-hmm. When you when you go into these um, investigative like places, right? Do you ever feel like like threatened or like 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 you feel like you're unsafe? Because I know that you're going into like, you know, like the um in India, like the child trafficking. I'm sure you've done so many more things that like I can't I can't even imagine. Like, do you ever feel like threatened or like in danger of your life? Um yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't I don't want to woe is me the conversation. Mm-hmm. I but we mm-hmm. do have crisis training. They teach us like if you're and we've done a lot of just like terror attacks. We've done a lot of coverage for hurricanes and stuff like that. So they teach us things to prepare ourselves if there's a bomb threat, if we have security that comes with us. And there's definitely been situations that I was very scared of. Mm-hmm. Um, but they prepare you enough to be smart about your surroundings. They give us security. I, I think I'm lucky that I work for a big network where they take those precautions. I think honestly, the hard part is leaving those situations and like having the tools to like break down what happened to you and just like deal with it at that point. Like that's for me is coming mm-hmm. out of it and being like, yeah. okay, like, what, what did I just see time to process it? Like that's the harder part. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what about like emotion wise? Like, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a roller coaster because you're seeing things like firsthand. How do you feel like it plays your emotions play into like the job? Oh, absolutely. It's honestly, it it would take me so long to process things. And I've been in this career now for seven years. And one of my first big jobs was working for the morning show. So I was an anchor producer. So we were traveling for breaking news all the time. We were covering all these, you know, heartbreaking stories. And I honestly, I didn't process it. We would be covering a story for a week. For example, we did the Las Vegas shooting. And so I was working all of the week before that we were traveling. We did our interview with Tom Brady. We did an interview on a shooting in DC. Um, And so I was supposed to get the day off, but then I slept for like two hours. I got a notification that, Hey, a shooting happened in Vegas. So I immediately knew they're going to send us to Vegas. So I, after like an hour of sleep, I get into the city shooting just happened and we're immediately on a plane and we were there. I left with the clothes on my back. Like I was there buying hotel clothes because I had nothing. So I'm there like in the, like these giant like sweaters and t-shirts and then we're walking and I like, didn't have proper shoes. And I'm like in these sandals because it was warmer here, like on the East coast. It was, and I remember just feeling the entire time that I was an autopilot mm. and we're in the hospital <clears throat> talking to victims. We're literally stepping on like blood. That's People wow. like, yeah, like where bodies were being dragged away. And that was so much for me to process. And going into that, I literally passed out on the plane from exhaustion. Mm. Yeah. And so I wasn't taking care of myself at all. And I think th- at that point I realized, okay, this is not good. I was so exhausted and it was mm-hmm. mentally draining, but I would come home after a lot of these things and I wouldn't speak to my family or friends yeah. for a few days. 
And I never knew why. And I was just like, everyone's getting on my nerves. Like no one understands, but I wasn't allowing myself to process what was happening. And mm -hmm. so that would just manifest in me being really closed off and me being shut off from everyone else and compartmentalizing. And I would never process these things. And genuinely, I'm not joking around you guys. I didn't process the last five years up until three months ago. Wow. Yeah. And there are so many things that just built up and built up. And I would resent people for like not understanding and not sympathizing yeah. with other people. And like, your problems are so small. And that's not fair. People are like, their feelings are valid as big mm -hmm. or small. Like you can't compare it. Like it's so unfair for me to have done, but I wasn't, this is a me, I, I was mm -hmm. processing and I wasn't taking the steps to kind of go through. I was just going from one breaking news story to another, from like one investigation to like another. And so, yeah, it took me a long, long time. Do you feel like it was sort of like traumatic in a way or just like you just didn't even have the time to even think about it? I think it was both. I think I was so go, go, go because I was incredibly grateful to have the position that I got. And I knew that like the next person was ready to take it from me. Like it's cutthroat. Mm -hmm. so I would work so late and so often just because I wanted to move up the ladder. Like I, mm -hmm. my friends would make fun of me. Like I would be the first one to fall asleep. Like we would hang out and I'm like, knocked out by 6 p.m. I'm like sleeping. I'm like, what happened? Oh, you guys were still hanging out. Like I had no idea. I just wasn't processing things. But also I think I just didn't want to because I was incapable of reliving a lot of what I saw because I didn't think anyone would understand. And I didn't mm -hmm. want to be the bummer in the group of like, hey, we were at this hurricane and this happened or we were at this shooting and hey, this happened in our workplace with like the Me Too movement. I didn't think anyone was capable of understanding. So I didn't want to bum out other people. And in doing that, I think I created this like block around myself and mm -hmm. it only ended up hurting me. And then I would project and my poor sister dealt with so much of it and like my immediately close friends. And I never understood why they would be like, like you need help sweetie and I'm like don't tell me I need help <laughs> I would get so defensive about it mm -hmm. so you mentioned some of the challenges and how emotionally draining it got for you at one point how did you end up coping with that you said that within the last three months you started actually realizing what you were going through so how did you cope with all of that I oh exclusive I started going to therapy Wow. We support it helps. therapy. We support <laughs> therapy. We've been yeah. saying it and we'll continue to say it. Everybody needs therapy. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, and it let me tell you, I hated therapy when I started it. I genuinely hate. I was just like, I don't need help. Like I'm okay. But it was to a point where so I was working for 60 minutes, like right mm -hmm. after I was doing this morning show. And it's a great show, like number one show. And it was, but it was heavy you're do you're still doing like heavy stuff mm -hmm. and I decided in January like I'm like just not functioning as a human being anymore and it got mm -hmm. to a point where I was so I mean I grew up with anxiety like even as a child like my parents always knew it and they have coped like they taught me how to cope with some stuff but it was and they're great and I'll give them so much credit like when I was a since I was a child like my mom was just like breathing exercises like let's do this so mm -hmm. I that's phenomenal actually for yeah no. Like, yeah. She was great about that. Like, and I remember being a kid and being like, okay, like, let's just like relax. Let's think about it. But I mean, as you get older, you're, when you're the coping mechanisms at seven are not going to help you at 27, you know? Yeah. So it just got to a point where I was so anxious and stressed out that I 
ended up going to the hospital. Like I was so stressed. I thought I was having a heart attack. Like Mm -hmm. it was really, really bad. And I think at that point, I'm just like, you need to take a break. Like this is just not a livable life. Um, So I took a few months off and it was my sister and my, my best friend. We were just having dinner one night and we were talking about like just casual things, but I like clammed up and I couldn't continue the conversation. I was just so anxious. And at that point, like my dad and my sister and my friend, they're just like, maybe you should consider talking to someone just to like learn how to process all of these things. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to, I hated the idea of it. And I knew it worked for other people. I'm not saying that I was just like, oh, I don't need therapy, but I genuinely didn't think I needed therapy. I started and it was, I hated it. <laughs> it was a slow, gradual process, but oh my gosh, it really, really helped. I think it just helped in being validated one that your problems aren't made up in your Mm -hmm. head and like two, really how to communicate them. Cause I was not communicating my issues at all. I was just holding it in and I had so much resentment and so much anger. And honestly, I didn't think I had trauma until my therapist was just like, you're living with trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what it is. Like, we're going to work through that. And it's okay for you, for you to like cry about it and to kind of relive it so that you can grow from it. Like I kept this all back. Like there were things from like 2016, 2015 that I just did not work through that were like going through and talking about and just me feeling like I'm not crazy. And I think feeling that I'm not weak because that's what I was so afraid of. I felt like people were so proud of me for being like that Malayali girl who made it into the industry. She did all of this and they were like, she won these Emmys and like, she's doing all of this. And I'm happy to be that person and be like, yes, there's a way, but I was embarrassed that I couldn't do it on my own. And I was embarrassed and I felt upset that almost like I was disappointing people by being asking like, for help. Yeah, absolutely. Cause yeah. I mean, it, it is a great job and, and, I'm, and I think more people should do it. And I hope more like people in our community see it. Cause I think we open up a lot of avenues for different stories mm-hmm. and it's so important. And I was disappointed in myself for not being able to like handle it on my own. And that's why it took me six, seven years to finally yeah. be like, okay, like, how do I be better? Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to keep living like this. Honestly, like, but even like deciding to go to therapy, even when you don't even want to go, like that itself shows like, like, okay, you're getting there, you know? Yeah. Cause I feel like a lot of times it's more like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm like, okay, I feel like something's wrong. So let me go to therapy. But for your case, he was like, nothing's wrong. Yeah. You didn't even notice it in the beginning, you know? Yeah. So I think that, do you think like it was crazy for you because you were in such a cutthroat position? Because you, because even you were saying like, you know, there was people waiting to take your job. So there was no option of saying, hey, I can't do that this week. Or I can't, no, you can't say really no, because you knew you said no, someone else is coming and taking over. Totally. And I think also for me, I felt guilty about having problems because of the stories I was covering, you know, like we were covering military sexual assault, we're covering people losing their homes in a hurricane, we're covering a mass shooting. And here I am randomly just driving down the street, no issues. And then I start bawling and I can't breathe. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? There are bigger problems in the world. And I think I, a lot of it was guilt. I'm like, I go to these places, I tell the story and then I get to leave. And I always felt so much guilt about that. And so I didn't want to have to admit that I had an issue because for me, it felt like I was taking away from someone else's issues. And mm. what I've learned in therapy is that <laughs> all of our feelings are valid. And it's okay. <laughs> and how can I be a better person for other people if I'm not 
being there for myself, yeah. you know? I think therapy is making me a better journalist and it's a slow process and I'm still working on it, but I'm so glad that I had close people around me to be like, you need to like take care of yourself. So I have a question. Would Mm -hmm. you recommend if anybody is going into journalism to start therapy beforehand? Because I know like a lot of people say, even though you're all chirpy and happy and stuff, like you, everybody still needs therapy just to talk it out. And so would you recommend like going to it before you even get into the career? Oh, 100%. And that's a great question. And I wish someone convinced me of that at 21. Mm -hmm. I remember being, I mean, I know this because of like a lot of my friends and what I've seen people go through, but even in journalism school, it was kind of a joke of like, oh, how do journalists like keep doing their job? And the answer was drinking. Like we had professors telling us like, you're going to build up a really good tolerance. And I'm like, (laughs) want to do that <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm a lightweight <laughs> like, I don't want to do that and so it was we don't we don't really talk, honestly that's just like you deal with it and then you go out with your friends and you're all around the same age working this crazy job and mm-hmm. you don't really process it. you don't process any of it I think 100% if I had gone and knew the tools to take care of myself it would have made things a lot better and just for the people around me too I was I was difficult to be around because I wasn't working through my stuff. Do you mm. think it was also hard because there's like really no brown reporters out there for you to have like someone to turn to or get advice from? Yeah, 100%. I still to this day, I like, I wish there was someone that I could have gone to. And so when I was going into school, I'm not trying to expose anyone, so I'm not saying any names. <laughs> when I was going into school, say the name, we'll beep it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, my like second or third cousin knew of a girl who knew of a girl on Facebook, and she was that was the closest connection to me having someone who worked in journalism. And by she was doing magazine stuff, like it wasn't even news like me. Same, yeah, yeah. So then I like reached out to her, and I was just like, hi, like total such a dweeb like hi like I'm going to journalism school like I don't know any other Malayalis or like any people in general like do you have any advice like I'd love to talk and she was just like good luck like it'll work out Uh, okay and I'm like what what? like I'm coming for your job ma'am like you're (laughs) I'm going into school like what do you why is there a competition here like it just felt for me I was so devastated by that and I felt like you know what like no one's going to be here for me and I think that's why I worked so hard mm-hmm. it as well, because I had to prove to myself, my parents, everyone who went up to my parents and said this wasn't a good idea, that I could do it. And I'm not kidding you guys. I've done jobs so many places and almost every single newsroom that I've been in, I've been the only brown person. I was going to say, like, how did you get your foot in the door of CBS? Oh, girl. <laughs> like, genuinely, because if you had no connections, well, I don't know if you did or not but brown connections because I feel like that's the most powerful tool yeah. if you know a brown person somewhere you're you're gonna get right? yourself in yeah but like you didn't even have that so how did you get yourself in there yeah I so CBS has an internship program that you have to apply to okay. but even applying to you have to know a specific email of like the person to apply to like it's so cutthroat and I this girl who lived across the hall from me and my dorm and she's just like crazy competitive and everything I was over at her place and I was just kind of telling her like how nervous I was because everyone helped, like 
every other person that I know when they get into journalism, like, oh, my dad worked here, or I have this family friend, and be like, oh, they are in the same country club, and that's how, like, they gave me my email, and I was just like, crap, like, I don't have that at all, like, my family isn't at that point where we're like swapping numbers in Aspen and we're like, you know what I mean? Like that just wasn't it. And so I'm like telling her, I'm just a little nervous. And she's just like, Sheena, this is so out of character of me. And I don't know why I'm being compelled to do this, but here's this woman's uh, email. And we're competing with each other at that point. When I tell you guys, I'm like, see God, like this, there's that is God. There is no way that I would have got that email if for some reason she was just like something about she was just telling me I need to give you this email I emailed the woman and I had a giant group interview and I got the internship and so I got the intern I know I got the internship and I was working at the evening news with Scott Pelley um and I was like a fact checker and then that was six months it was the best internship like I loved it I knew in that moment I'm just like oh I'm in the right spot like I'm gonna work my butt off I'm not leaving this place you're gonna Mm -hmm. drag me out of here um, I graduated and then I called them every single day to just give me like some type of job. I'm just like, don't kick me out. Like I will work for nothing. And when I tell you, I ended up working for nothing. I was making <laughs> less money graduated than I was as an intern still in school. That's crazy. Like, yeah. And I was working seven days. Is a that week. legal? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I have, it was still minimum. It was just, I don't know. It was minimum wage. And it just, I think interns are just treated better at that point. <laughs> like my job at that point was I was working for like different, so I was working for like the Colbert show, John Oliver, like it wasn't news that I was doing. Mm-hmm. They are under CBS. So I was like doing, I was like a line leader for people. Like I was getting people into the audience and I hated it. Colbert is amazing. That stuff is fun. And people were excited. Like, oh my God, you graduated and you're working at Colbert. And I'm like, I don't care. I want to work <laughs> on the Sunday news. I want to be here. And then, so I would ask them for more shifts. So I was working seven days a week, just like begging them for like the news shifts. So mm-hmm. when I stayed there for the news shifts, the vice president of CBS news at the time was seeing me every day and like him. And I knew he was like a big deal, whatever. And he would just like make eye contact me in a weird way. And I'm just like, Oh my God, does he like hate me? Does he not want me to do whatever? One day he approached me on like a Saturday night and he's just like, hi, like I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, hi, I'm Sheena. He's just like, are there problems at home? I'm like, Excuse <sighs> me? and he's just like, why do I see that? Like, do you have a place to go home? I'm like, what are you t- are you oh my gosh I've seen you here every single day I've seen you here for breaking news I've seen you here on the weekends like what is going on who's hiring you that you can work this is not okay and I was like oh my god and so I told him about what I was doing he's just like oh no we're getting you a job and so he helped me switch over and get into like a full time he gave me a recommendation wow. to move to the morning show I would work on a tiny little reception desk when oh. you first enter the newsroom and the main newsroom was like our morning show And so the executive producer, the guy who runs the show would pass by me every single day. And I would be there when he got in and I would be there when he left. So he saw me. And so he would be, so he introduced himself. He's just like, who are you? Like, why am I always seeing you? You don't work for my show. And I explained that to him. And then the VP of news was just like, you need to hire this girl. Like she's like a hard worker. She's always here. I ended up getting his, so they're called broadcast associate. Oh my Um, God. They say I almost got it. I thought you said you got his job. (laughs) No. I ended up being his number two. So I beat out all of the other people who were already working at that show. And I was like working at the desk with him. And six months after that, he was just like, okay, I'm moving you up. So it honestly, like, I just showed up and I stayed. Like, they they had to like kick me out. So I really, it was really like, I didn't have anyone else until people noticed me. 
Yeah. It's not about Yeah. It's not about the spaces that you don't think you belong in. Stay where you're not wanted. (laughs) Guys, I'm not kidding around. It is tough and it is hard, but make yourself known. Take up space. I had to learn the hard way, but I'm telling you, take up space. No one will invite you into all of these places. You really have to like Mm -hmm. pull a seat up. And I did that. And I I wish I had someone to help me. Like that would have been great for advice of like how to not be the weird girl who's there every day. But, <laughs> but no, hey, it worked, worked for you. Yeah. It's crazy. crazy. But it's also not about luck or anything like that. Like you wanted it. Like you wanted it and you um and God made the path for her. Exactly. Yeah. I really think that God will see the desires of your heart. And when you put in the work and just like really take time to do it, he's gonna honor that. And of course, it's to like the opportunities that you should be at. There are a lot of doors that have been closed and I never understood it. And looking mm-hmm. back now, I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, I get why that was a short-lived thing or I get why I moved here and whatnot. And in the moment I didn't understand because I'm like, I know I'm a hard worker. I know I deserve that. Like even with, so I was at 60 Minutes and I, that was the dream job. Like me in journalism school, I'm like, there's no way I'm never going to get into 60 Minutes. Like, I'm just going to work hard until, enough to like be around 60 and I ended up getting the job at 63 years ago and I stayed there for three years and it was great and it was difficult. And then I realized, you know what? Maybe it's just time for some bigger dreams. Mm-hmm. Like I'm allowed to dream bigger now. I'm allowed to want more. And it felt like it was being something that was taken away from me because I was dealing with so much anxiety and whatnot with the job. But now where I'm at working for the investigative unit, I'm like, wow, God really provided even in that time of me being so anxious and me being so burnt out and brought me to a place where I really feel seven years into my career, guys, I'm learning the most that I ever have. Um, like it, that's just, I feel like, okay, he saw, he knew what to do. I worked through what I needed to work through <laughs> and I still am. So I, I feel it almost feels like I'm starting like this new chapter in my career, even though it's been so long. What is your ultimate like goal career-wise and where you want to be headed in the future? Or do you even have an ultimate goal? Or <laughs> in the next five years, where, yeah. like, where do you want to be? Yeah, hmm, that's a good question. I love what I'm doing now. And I think I'm finally at a place where I have some sense of autonomy in my job mm-hmm. where I can say no to things and I will fight for the stories that I want to do and you know the dream used to be 60 and I did that and I'm moving on and the dream was always investigations and now I'm doing that so I'll give it another year and then I'll see mm-hmm. what bigger dreams I have you know <laughs> I'm gonna take That's it good. The time yeah and I'm really enjoying this and I think the work is important and I I think we're helping people and it's tough but I mean if someone's got to do it so I'm, I'm glad where I'm at right now and I think it's a learning curve, but I'm really enjoying it. So, I'm gonna- so you're basically yeah. saying you're at your dream job. I'm saying that for now, provides. for now, and I'm, I'm, I'm the dream always changes. The dream can change. You can, that's what I've learned. You can have, you can change your dreams. You mm-hmm. can want to learn more. And so I'm going to take it year by year. I think, I think right now Sheena's an investigative reporter. Amen. <laughs> two years, right? That's me to get in two years. Maybe I'll maybe I'll retire. <laughs> Come back to filter in two years. We'll see what she's doing. <laughs> so what would be your favorite piece you've worked on or the one that you're most proud of of this whole like career you've built for yourself? I'm gonna give you two. Okay. Ooh. The first one 
we did a story on, and I think it's just like close to my heart when we talk about, when we do like women's issues, mm-hmm. um, we did a story on, it was an invest, my first investigation actually a few years ago, we did an investigation into sexual assault at the Air Force Academy. And there were a bunch of female cadets who were being assaulted and the Academy wasn't taking their cases seriously. They weren't processing their rape kits. They were, these girls were then end, ended up leaving school and all this stuff. And so we spoke to a couple of them, some of them like anonymous. And I just remember being there in Colorado and hearing their stories. And I mean, I had like a binders of just like the cases and like mm. details of all of this stuff that they provided us. And it was heartbreaking, but being in the room and hearing them tell the stories to us in person, our camera guy had to stop recording at something because I was, we were crying too loud. Like I was in the background and just sobbing and they're just like, okay, we're going to take a break. And I'm like, they're like blowing my nose, like so- full on sobbing. We ended up doing the story. And I just remember at that moment feeling so grateful for them for being so brave to talk about these things mm-hmm. and to even just trust us to tell their story. We put the story out. The Air Force Academy ended up having to address it. They changed their policies, like change happened. Um, and I think that's what I'm just grateful for because then you know the work is actually worth it and their stories were heard and they had some closure in the end of that. So that was a great one. And I think that one was just like, oh, I like investigations. Like we're helping people and I'm glad that we got to help those women. Um, that was the first one. I think the most recent one I'm proud of because a lot of it, I got to have ownership of. And I was working for 60. This was, I believe in 2020 or 2021, whenever we were leaving Afghanistan. Um, and I found an old friend of mine, he moved to be an anchor somewhere else. And he like texted me. He's just like, Hey, I was talking to this guy in the military. And he's telling me that as people are interpret, like people are leaving, they're pulling out troops. There's a group of Afghan translators who are being left behind. Mm-hmm. And at this point, no one was covering the story. Like we just knew that, Hey, the removal of like the war is over. We're getting our troops out. We're getting our people out. But like, a date wasn't set and no one was talking about the translators. So basically Afghan translators who were helping the U.S. military, they were told that if you work for us for two or so years, we're going to keep you safe. We're going to keep you safe from the Taliban. We're going to keep you safe from everything. And we'll give you a safe passage out of Afghanistan and into the U.S. or into another country. But the removal of all of our troops, it was so messy. Like it was, this was all during that summer and it was crazy. And over 15,000 were left behind. And they're the number one target for the Taliban. So they were getting letters from the Taliban saying, the moment that the U.S. Army leaves, like, we're taking your head. And we got, we saw these letters. So I found some, I found a a, a translator who made it to the U.S. safely. We found a translator who was still stuck there. And we had to coordinate with, we call them fixers, or so people who are on the ground in Kabul. And they were helping us be our translators essentially and like get the stuff going we talked to this guy he was stuck there throughout our entire story we had to go to the state department the state department didn't have answers we had to talk to the guy here how long it took them like he they had young kids and this man knew he showed us letters of the Taliban being like just wait the moment that this thing is done like you're on our number one hit list so he's talking to us in a secret hideout afraid for his life and he's sharing the story with us we ended up airing the story he got stuck in Afghanistan. And two weeks later, we found out that he was able to be removed and we were so grateful for it. But then now we had two people, it was a young woman and a young, honestly, a boy, he's only 21. They were helping us with our peace. The Taliban found out that they were helping us. They were on the hit list. 
because you become enemy number one in that moment. Mm-hmm. So they were writing to us terrified. And because I was the producer on the piece, I'm being told by like folks at the State Department, folks are, we had reporters and journalists there. So CBS was trying to get out our folks. We had like planes going in and out. And I had to write to our executive producer, the CEO of CBS, like every head and I'm begging them. I'm like, there's a visa where if you work for a US company, they can still help you get out if your life is in danger. These two kids, their life was in danger. So I was on vacation in Puerto Rico because I just finished a story and I'm like, I'm going to like take a mental health break. And I remember being there just like writing these letters, begging them, like, these are kids, like we need to get them out. If it wasn't for them, this story would have never happened. Like what's mm-hmm. going on? And I had to write all these letters to the state department to our, like the president of CBS. And I remember this guy was just being so scared and like terrified. He's just waiting at the airport. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I can't make it home. And just that devastation of just, I felt responsible because I needed to fix it. I asked these two people, like, help me with the story. And now they're stuck there. I pushed and pushed and pushed. We ended up getting them on a plane and they're both safe. <gasps> Yay! Praise oh God. God. Yo, I was at the edge of my seat. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was a close call. When I tell you guys, they were on like the last plane and I had to like get their information, do all of this stuff. And it was, we had to go through another translator. But I, I mean, they helped tell us our story. They yeah. did the work as well. Why should they have their life at risk for, for, for me? Like, I don't want that on my head. Like, this was terrifying. And we even got the guy who helped us on their story. He got out and he's in London with his family. So I'm like, praise God. But that's why we do the work, right? Like mm-hmm. they helped us. And I think for me, it just felt so good that they were safe, one, but also, okay, you know, like, this is why you do it. We mm-hmm. got to tell the story and it was such an important story. Like John Oliver covered it on his like show. And like, what a full circle moment where I used to like line up audience members for John Oliver. Oh my God. His main segment was showing my entire piece of how crazy the situation was. And then through that, we got two guys out. We got a young girl and a young guy out and they're safe. So that easily. That's, that's amazing. Seriously, that's incredible. That's what makes it all worth it. Seeing yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I have a question. Who are some journalist icons that you admire? Mm. Christiane Amanpour, I think is just phenomenal. She's just, she's so good at what she does. She does a lot of foreign news. She covers a lot of big stuff. And for me, like I always admired her. Mm -hmm. So I, I I respect the heck out of her. And I think that's who like, I want to, I always just want to have that level of professionalism and caring for my stories and I think it's hard to do it's really easy to get jaded in the business and Mm -hmm. I think she still continuously is just so respectable in that sense um I would say her um I loved Anderson Cooper when I was growing up like it was like a (laughs) running joke with my friends (laughs) like I had the biggest crush on him so I mean like also see God that I've like got to work on a piece with him yeah I was gonna say you got to work with him Emmy for with him (laughs) got it did your homework (laughs) won an Emmy with him yes He doesn't know my name still. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, he's listening. He's listening. Hi, Andy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm so lucky. I got to work with all of these people that I grew up watching and that my parents like would watch and show me. So I I feel blessed. I'm for, with anyone that I've got to be with. I'm, I feel really lucky in my position. That's amazing. amazing. I have a question that doesn't have to do with any of this, but just if I want to know. Yes. How long does it take for these stories to like come out? Oh, great question. So it honestly depends on what we're covering. So when I was working for the morning show, 
we did breaking news. So that was pretty quick. Like we had to like do all of this work. And the next day we're putting out a story for longer stuff, like investigations, the sexual assault one, that was a six month investigation. Um, I'm working on a story right now in a similar thread. And I've been working on it since July and it's still not like, I'm still reporting it out. Like it's not close to being done. So, so you can work on two things at the same time or I work. Oh, totally. Yeah. You have to be able to just juggle a bunch of stuff. So it really depends on 60. They give you a lot more time. 60 minutes gives you a lot more time. So that's great. But I think with investigations specifically right now, you really have to report it out, make sure that you're getting the facts right. We work with a team of lawyers. We work with a team of like, they call it rights and clearances so that we make sure we're using the right stuff. Um, I have seen her. So there's a whole level of checks and balances Mm -hmm. to make sure we're putting out the correct thing and that we're doing it in an ethical way. So it takes, it can take time, but then you can work on a morning show and put something out in two days or a day. Mm. Yeah. I have another question that has nothing to do with anything. Do you, do you catch yourself a lot, like doing a lot of work, like outside of work hours? Oh, I don't even know what work hours look like. (laughs) I'm terrible about work-life balance and I'm trying to be better now, but my sister always jokes, my sister Serena, we're super close. And she always jokes that I've been training her to have like a not reliable husband. Cause I'll be like, we'll be out for dinner. And I'm like, I have my two phones out and I'm like taking calls and I'm just like, never there. <laughs> oh, we can't go out and like go to a movie. Cause I'm working. I, I, I'm just always on call. Mm-hmm. So I am trying to be better about it, but I mean, yeah, I'm definitely not like, it's, it's not good. Always on the clock. Always on the clock. The news never oh, sleeps, gosh. ladies. <laughs> the news never sleeps. That's true. Always stressed. <laughs> so what advice would you give to anybody who is wanting to go into this field? Mm, yeah. I would say if it's something that you really want to do, just go for it. It No one's going to hold your hand through it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you really just have to be fully committed. And it's going to be hard, but I think if it's something that you're invested in, something that you care about, God will make a way. Like it, it's, there's no reason why I should end up where I've ended up considering what I had to go into. So I think 100% ask for help if you can. Now, listen, now you've got a girl on the inside, ask for help. <laughs> I am always willing to help anyone, um, but really just like to push through. And also just you can rely on people, even if they don't understand what you're going through. I think having a support system, and I love this about you guys, that you guys have each other, but a support system that can just tell you, you know what, Hey, I think you need to check on yourself and take a minute or, Hey, we can talk about this. Like, maybe I won't understand it, but that is a game changer of just people who are going to help you rise up and just like, really just like give you your flowers and just like praise you when you need it. And then when you're going through it, be like, okay, we're going to, we'll process this together. I think that if it wasn't for a great community. And I think girls are great about this. And that's why I love girls. And just like, they will hold you through it all. Like find the people, find your circle. It's, it's life-changing. I will say though, what I've learned is it is so important to have a life outside of your job. Like your career is not, yes, it's not defined as being your purpose. I think there's such an importance in just taking care of yourself and like having a community outside of work. That's there's a lot of the film. There's a lot that can happen outside of like your office and your newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you guys for listening. listening. Thank you for coming on. Seriously. Thank you guys for listening. Follow Sheena on Instagram. Sheena Samu. 
Yeah, go support her. We want to know what she's doing in two years. Is she still going to be an investigative reporter? <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> so follow her. <laughs> follow us on Instagram at Filter the Podcast. And listen to us on wherever you listen to your podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send us anonymously, we have a link in our bio that you can do that. Or you can just send us a DM. We would love to chat with you. And we love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, guys. We love you.